Hello and welcome to the Week in Review. I'm Michael Curzon and I'm joined as always by Luke Perry and SD Wicket. Sam, how are you? I'm good, Michael. I always comment on the weather when you introduce me and it's, uh, it's, 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 a, it's quite a grey day today. It's not very nice. How very British of you. <laughs> uh, and also by Luke Perry. Hello, everyone. If you want a British comment, the weather here in the in the West Midlands is absolutely dire. No. I'm in the East. It's much better. East yeah. Um, up for Burson, there you are. We'll, we'll lead today, uh, Sam, on your story. What have you been reading about? Well, it appears that uh, Dominic Cummings is uh, is back with a vengeance. He's, um, he's come back with a series of leaks and a, uh, a blog post in which he is, has put the Johnson administration into his uh, line of fire. Um, and the government is responding. The cabinet office is launching an internal investigation into the leak of Johnson's text messages with James Dyson, the um, as I mentioned last week, the uh, vacuum cleaner magnate. Um, this is something that I mentioned to Luke before he joined the call, Michael. Do you know that Boris Johnson has had the same phone for the last 15 years and has given his number out at multiple, to, to basically anyone? Yeah, I did see that report earlier today. So, um, he, so he supposedly, according to the leaks, um, regularly texted by businessmen and politicians. Um, yeah, and sources in government have said that the the prime minister has just liberally given his phone number out over the years. Um, so, two thousand six, so that, that was back when he was a, a member of parliament and editor of the Spectator. So he's uh, so through through you know increasingly senior roles in British public life, he's uh, he's had the same uh, phone number, which is yeah. Bizarre. So you've got an interesting contact list. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. A long one too. Um, but yeah, so the mainly filled with mistresses. <laughs> I think even then he's got a private phone for that. Um, oh, that's true. That's true. Private phones. The but the 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 leak centre around two key things, which is one was that a comment that Johnson made. He supposedly said that he would rather see the bodies piled high in the thousands and order a third lockdown, which he then did. Um, this is this question brings up a lot and I'll, I'll pose a question to you guys um as he said this you know privately which reveals a lot more than any public comment and a third lockdown did happen not to mention the tier system uh nonsensical rules on hospitality uh cancelling christmas for the south of england yes you, you have to ask yourself who is running this country because if the prime minister enacts policy that he clearly didn't want to enact then is the prime minister actually in charge of the British government or is he being pushed around by Sage and his fiance and the health department? Well, first of all, my initial reaction was that Boris actually, in this case, if he really did say this uh, remark, uh, both has his cake and has eaten it because um, of course, another lockdown was inflicted and the bodies are piling high, not merely uh, COVID, but the delayed cancer referrals, uh, abuse at home, suicides, which initially reports suggested were lower last year, but that's because of delays in coroner reports. Um, and, and all the other, uh, well, of course, the impact of the destruction of the economy, which soon will lead to a, a further increase onto the pile. Um, but no, that's a, an interesting point on who really is in charge. And I think that's a fair one that uh, actually um, the the impact of SAGE has been so great over the last year, uh, so immense, that questions have to be asked like that. Um, and a, I think a review needs to be taken uh, place at this point because 
it seems the Prime Minister has been cajoled into a number of positions, um, essentially um, through fear. If you don't do this, X amount of people will die. And bear in mind that some of the people who are saying these things, like Niall Ferguson, have been saying them for decades and have been proved to be wrong on a number of occasions as well. I think he was very vocal in the foot and mouth epidemic. Um, so yes, it's I I actually am not sure I believe that Johnson said this comment, or if he did, didn't put very much thought into it, because he has been very pro-lockdown uh, anyway. Um, and I think even privately, he probably is. It's the, the position he's come to take, despite his uh, previous alleged libertarian positions. Boris likes to act as, as if this is boisterous populists, strong leader. But the era of the era of lockdowns has shown he is anything but. I mean, he's not. He hasn't just been holding to his advisors and such, or even his fiance. He's beholden to the press and the um the large level of public hysteria, which, my my opinion, was self inflicted through government propaganda. But um, it just seems that this pandemic has just completely ru ruined him with, with with his reputation. He he is not this um strong libertarian prime minister. He is um just just another one of 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 a bunch really is he now represents the status quo he represents the dominant opinion aligned with dominant culture hmm. we, we've mentioned that in the past that there are questions to be asked about the, the moral character of the prime minister or lack thereof um just a, a brief look at his his track record um even prior to becoming prime minister uh, serial philanderer has had numerous public affairs. He left broadsheet journalism in disgrace after after you know uh, inventing um, sources and quotes. Um, his his bumbling eccentric uh, image is a total ruse. And since being prime minister, he's shown basic incompetence in the last twelve months. Um, the key thing for me being. The fact that the, the at no point in the last year has the border been firmly closed uh, to I mean obviously with trade that you have to keep it open but with you know for tourists um, even when Italy was being ravaged by the pandemic people were entering the country from Italy and not even being like scanned at all they were just walking straight into the country. Um, the confusing element is that Brits are told you mustn't leave the country, but for a very long time, thousands of people were coming in every week. It just didn't make any sense. Um, I mean, I disagree that people shouldn't have been allowed out of the country anyway, since I've not been in favour of the lockdown pretty much from the beginning. But if you are to hold that position, then at least make it consistent and, and say that um, the same is the case for people trying to come in. It also seems in some cases that the government sphere doesn't match up with its policies. The, 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 the people, um, thousands of people they were letting in the country, they came from areas in which the government was worried about new variants. Yeah. All hearing about this angel of death, but think it, people were coming in from Italy when it, at the height of um, the first lockdown, people were um, all over the world, really. The government may have all these um, red areas, green areas, but in terms of importation, doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. The um, so he's he he's denied making the um, bodies part high comment. There are civil servants who have um, basically uh, sworn that he actually said it. Um, he's rumored to be absolutely furious because he felt that he'd been uh, strong armed into calling the second lockdown. Um, so yeah, again, it, it it paints a picture of chaos in the, in in the halls of government, and the, the prime minister can't keep a lid on it.
Well, the other side of this is that the media, um, having at every turn um, highlighted uh, death statistics, um, which are very much over-glamorized and increasingly we find out false, um, which adds to the fear and leads the public to expect that another lockdown should be um, enforced. So I think the media also has to to answer here. Although it's part of that, um, I do wonder, um, or at least you have to ask, could be simply a response to the government's own actions, given that the media is funded at the minute by the government through NHS advertisement. And um, it might have been the other way around that the media actually was putting out these statistics so as to help justify what the government has already decided to do. So either way, there's a, there's a direct line between the, the media and parliament. Hmm. But even... Cabinet. Absolutely. But even now, say, if if what Boris said uh, is true, if what he's alleged to have said is he really did say, um, how is it that the same man isn't speeding up uh, our unlock from lockdown when all the statistics, even that presented by Sage increasingly, are so positive? Hmm. The only bogeyman which still exists, really, is the talk around the new variant, uh, variant uh, which a lot of that is specious since um, they found out that it's, it's incredibly unlikely that it's going to get around the vaccine. I mean, today we found out that um, there are, I believe it's 22 million people living in Britain, in the UK, the whole of the UK, uh, in areas where not a single person has died of COVID in April. Not a single person. That's a third of the country um, in terms of area. Um, and in other areas, it's even higher than that. In Kent, I believe, it's two months. Um, in uh, another area, it's around about 52 days. And we also found out today that only in the past few months, during what's been called the second wave, um, only 1% of people who have been hospitalised with COVID had the vaccine. And most of that is people who had the vaccine outside of the three weeks. So the, the number who uh, had received the vaccine, but under three weeks, i.e. under the period at which the vaccine is considered to be effective, was slightly higher, maybe like six to seven percent, but still incredibly low. So with all of these positive statistics, with most of the population vaccinated and more importantly, most of the people who are actually vulnerable to the vaccine, uh, to, the, to the virus rather, uh, vaccinated, and with so few people, especially comparatively to the state we're in last year, uh, being hospitalised and then dying with the virus, there's no reason uh, to justify the continuation of lockdown. Yet the man who allegedly said that he'd rather see the bodies pile high than put in another lockdown isn't speeding up, even mm. though the data is so good. The same man, by the way, who said data, not dates. It's mm. all a load of tosh, really. Mm. Yeah, basically. Um, to, go, to go back to the leaks, because we, we'll... I think we'll touch upon COVID in, in your story, Michael. To go back onto the leaks, and, and another thing too is the um, the Downing Street makeover, um, commissioned by uh, Carrie Simmons and apparently designed by some famous designer heralded in Tatler. It looks awful. <laughs> it looks awful. It looks it looks like it looks like um, there's a there's a restaurant in London called Sketch where it's like four rooms each designed by a different artist. It looks like a it looks like a, like like a room in Sketch, like a, like a mini restaurant in Sketch. Um, the the leaks, uh, quite funny enough, they 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 point to um, legally dubious uh, funding from Tory peers. Um, David Brownlow, a Tory peer worth uh, several million pounds, 
apparently donated uh, £58,000 to the refurbishments. Um, Cummings, um, who is, again, accused of being the leak, we don't, we don't fully know yet, but in a, in a blog post he described the plan as unethical, foolish, possibly illegal, and almost certainly broke the rules on proper disclosure. So we again, we aren't just looking at you know an embarrassing egg on the face story for the prime minister or a, you know a, a culpability in in the side effects of of, uh, of COVID. We're now seeing someone who is who's very real, very possibly broken the law. Well, I think the the point here, and Collingwood wrote an article for us, uh, which was published on Wednesday, I believe, which uh, made a very good point, possibly Thursday. Um, that was it. Fifty-eight thousand that's alleged to have been donated by by, by Brownlow. Yeah, by Brownlow. Yeah. Right. Now, Collingwood said, "What kind of person donates fifty-eight thousand pound for someone to uh, redecorate their flat? Normally, that sort of money would be donated." He said to the Royal British Legion or or something to do with COVID, saying that we help the NHS with it. Um, but instead, it was given free decoration. I don't think anybody uh, actually considered this to be a donation. At this point, instead, as Collingwood writes very well, it's a a um, a purchase of influence. If it's you know, we have to say allegedly in these cases, unfortunately, if if the payment was really made, was it simply a donation, or did this person believe that they were getting something back? And mm. if so, I think uh, look a, a further study into the situation here, uh, an investigation, you, should, you could call it, uh, is necessary because it's, it's worth knowing exactly what it is Boris wanted to give back uh, as repayment for this money, what influence it was that he was willing to grant because it, that essentially then would be um, an abuse of power. Hmm. Yeah, these type of high level funds from um, donors are just corruption with extra steps. They might be legal, they might be in regulatory codes, but to the ordinary folk they are very very dubious hmm. yeah and, and we we mentioned this last week there's a lot of um uh, the, the contracts being given out the, the the communication between the the pm and and and, and dyson i mean this is a very corrupt government and during a time of crisis that corruption just seems like even more of a slap in the face hmm. it's a strange time to decide to redecorate a flat um, yeah, yeah, it's a very yeah. It's a strange times to do that. Strange times to to make a two million pounds briefing room. Um, well, that was ludicrous. That really was ludicrous. Um, insulting, actually. Yeah, it, yeah, it is a strange time to redecorate your flat. I mean, just just tastelessly as well. <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna spend uh, like a hundred grand of donor money on a on a flat replacement during a time when unemployment's about to go through the ceiling, at least do it well. <laughs> well, I, I did also think, looking at this thing, that it was slightly revealing. I mean, we already know uh, that Carrie Simmons, uh, whose influence on the Prime Minister, despite not being uh, elected or appointed, uh, is questionable. Um, I think we already knew that she wasn't really uh, on our side of politics, let's say, to put it lightly. Uh, but this is a, an example of Scruton's idea of conservatism being partly about beauty. You can see from her choice of decoration uh, that she's anything but conservative. Um, and it's quite a different mindset is the one that produces a look like that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose that, that, that really is a slightly more minor point. So, well, so my story this week is um, uh, an ongoing story and it will continue to uh, be ongoing so long as lockdown extends. 
um, or even continues until June 21st, which also doesn't make sense. And it's the impact of lockdowns on children. Now, there's many areas we can talk about this from, uh, most notably uh, the loss of learning through schools. I remember seeing that uh, reading uh, has flourished through lockdown. There's a report on this the other day, which seems strange since um, other reports have suggested that children's ability to read during lockdown has been absolutely hampered. Uh, since so many parents don't bother reading to their children at home anymore, um, they sort of rely on the school to aid them through this process and schools having not been opened, haven't been doing so. Uh, so I think the, the boost of reading has probably been of the more uh, higher middle class families uh, who were doing quite all right. Thank you. Anyway, but the story in particular, which I wanted to talk about um, on the impacts of lockdown on children from this week, uh, is the report from the National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children, uh, which is a charity which is, uh, operates a, uh, a helpline for children who suffer abuse or any other form of problems. And they say that in the past year, or the year up to March 21st, which is actually a very good sort of timescape regarding lockdown, since that's around about when it started, the helpline was contacted either through calls or messages 85,000 times in one year, which uh, just for context is a 23% increase on the year before. So a massive increase. Um, and these weren't petty uh, correspondences over half, well, not over, but very nearly uh, half of these were um, ended up being referred to the police or child services. Um, so serious issues, mainly relating to uh, parental alcoholism, uh, parental mental health generally, stress due to lack of work, or uh, physical and mental abuse. So very serious cases here, um, which essentially has been um, welcomed in because of a, a, a year now of state-imposed lockdowns, which, you know, the, the impact that this has had on our lives um, which have essentially been halted for a year, um, is revealed more and more by the day. <laughs> and never as it is more revealed does that get better. It's always much worse. And I think it, it's a, a strong indication of just how difficult actually it's going to be to pick society back up when this ends. It's not like come June 21st, even if that is the last day, which I very much doubt it is, uh, even if it is, we're not just going to be able to carry on living as normal. So much has been damaged uh, irreversibly and there's a lot of work that's got to be done to try and bring society back together yeah um we mentioned this before on the show but um <clears throat> the, the 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 kids who are you know it's it, not even the ones who are being you know um who are in abusive environments but there are there are kids who are you know it doesn't matter what their environment is if if you're of a certain age if you're you know between uh being a toddler and being a teenager when you're learning about the world, you're learning to socialize the world, you you learn by osmosis more than anything else, by observing and just by, you know, taking things in and sort of accepting um, normative assumptions of, you know, normality. And this is this has been reality for the last year. Bear in mind, if you're a kid, that's a far greater chunk of your life. Um, there's going to be a, a generation of kids who are, who are just utterly ruined by this. Well, not only socially, actually, but also in terms of health. It's a really ironic point where you know we've we've enforced this lockdown to improve the health of the nation. Well, a, a, another recent study came out. It was published in the New Scientist um, earlier this week, which highlighted the fact that 
children, especially between the ages of, well, from birth until around about 18 months, it's the period where, along with the societal osmosis, children also develop their immune systems. And they do this by being in the natural environment, by meeting people, by being around animals which lick faces and picking things up the floor and eating them uh, and all these sorts of dodgy things uh, essentially builds a child's immunity, makes it so that they can resist uh, things like viruses or uh, all sorts of things come later life. Hmm. Now, having been locked indoors for a year has really hampered that. I mean, some families uh, with pets might have helped push the tide away on this a little bit because uh, animals are supposed to be very helpful uh, in terms of the building of immunity but generally uh the the immunity levels of our, of our young of, of our very young that is have been greatly damaged by the fact that people haven't been permitted mm. to take their children out into the natural environment um and i think we could see um in a decade's time a lot of problems with that actually in terms of people's ability to resist what otherwise are fairly common illnesses yeah you're right i mean you know um i'm not sure if it's still common practice but when i was when, when we were kids if, if it was seems being normal for a kid to get chickenpox. Mm. If it, in fact, it was desirable because it had, you know, it wasn't a dangerous, it wasn't da- a dangerous um, illness, and it had um, benefits for your your, your immune system. Mm. I've got a good anecdote about that with um, chickenpox. Now, this was when I was in primary school about 10, 15 years ago, and there was an outbreak of chickenpox in one of the classrooms. But the parents, even when they were notified about this, kept their children in school so they would catch chickenpox. You could, I mean, this happened in my lifetime and I'm not that old. You could never imagine a scenario like that happening today. Hmm. And uh, it's, not it's with what, COVID. <laughs> no, not with COVID, not at all. Even when that's just as deadly as chickenpox in child, many cases. Yeah. Yes, for a child, certainly. Yeah. And um, it's what I've said before, that the, the real crisis... Of, of health and other societal malaises have yet to come. They will come after lockdown. Yeah. Unemployment as well, Wicket said that will go through the roof when furlough ends, I think five million will be unemployed. That'll be more family breakdowns and more um, cases of domestic abuse. And like what you said, Kurz, I think I wrote a piece for you about um, how immune systems in the Western world have been on the decline for generations and um, have been further hampered by lockdowns and now that the hysteria is here people are going to live in even more sterile environments than they used to and the common cold is, is going to become even more common let alone the deadly viruses yeah that, that's things that culturally too it, all the adults have become you know um unstable hypochondriacs yeah you know and yeah uh, you know kids benefit from osmosis they benefit from being exposed to you know uh, unthreatening pathogens and they also they learn from their parents. If their parents are you know just paranoid, yeah, hypochondriacs, then that's going to bleed down too. Yeah. I think that's partly a result of uh, decreased trust in society generally. Yeah. That perhaps people are, are more worried about the pathogens you speak of because they're also more worried about allowing their child to uh, walk to school by themselves. Say uh, instead they have to be driven because they might get mugged or even stabbed in some areas of the country instead. Earlier this week, there's also a report, very, very much unrelated, but a report of a, a scalp being found in the, the middle of a street in an area due to a machete attack. Um, now, that's not the sort of thing you want your child to walk past on the way to school. Much better to drive them instead. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if the, the same fear around your child's ability to essentially go out and learn things for themselves, to an extent, that is, um, translates into a fear of um, allowing your child to 
develop something like the virus, despite it posing for these people absolutely no risk. On that note, um, since we've deviated so far from the original theme, I'd say, uh, we'll go on to the last story, which uh, Luke is your one this time. Um, and you've got something to talk to us about from Peterborough. Yeah, so Peterborough, cl close to my hometown, is once again in the political headlines. Um, Any good reason? <laughs> it, it would be a first if it was. So um, nine are Peterborough Labour councillors, which is, are half the total number of Labour councillors, which sits in the chamber, have uh, been suspended for um, allegations over anti-Semitism. Surprise, surprise. In addition, four members of, of the local Labour Party have been suspended, including two who were due to run in the local council elections on the 6th of May. Now, um, could, as I say, could this be Starmer trying to uh, look good in purging the party of, of anti-Semitic characters and to further distance himself from the Corbyn era to stand a greater chance of, of being elected? And the uh, reason I say that is because although there, there have been complaints about anti-Semitic conduct, the party have uh, made it clear that um, investigations are still being carried out. So there's not yet currently, uh, an internal verdict has, has not yet been reached. But um, Peterborough is um, stereotyped for this. It has cropped up in the news before for, regarding anti-Semitism. I mean, you could cast your minds back to the 2019 by-election where Labour's candidates had to apologise for liking a tweet deemed to be anti-Semitic. They referred to then Prime Minister Theresa May being in the pocket of Zionism. But interestingly, the um, Conservative Party has also been found in a bit of hot water over anti-Semitism allegations in Peterborough. Uh, that They've been made against three Conservative members who are either councillors or candidates for council seats. One Conservative member was accused of spreading an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory that Israel was conducting the final solution on the people of Gaza. And uh, the, the Jewish Leadership Council said that there is an identifiable problem in Peterborough politics that needs to be resolved. Now, um, as I say, th this town always appears in the news, in the political limelight regarding anti-Semitism. And it, it, it seems to be affecting both parties, not, not, not just Labour. So... Mm. It's, it's a very complex issue. When when uh, someone involved in a political party is accused of being this or that, it reminds me of the old UKIP days where every interview was dominated by, do you know that your candidate in you know the South East has said this or that? And you think, mm. well, I think this is largely a result of uh, the, the fact that mass movements, which political parties are, attract uh, some very noble people people have done a lot for the community some brave people um some layabouts who just want to get their name out and some complete drongos uh, and these might be examples of the latter um but i personally think every time i hear about a story it, it seems to me like it's it's it gets talked about so much as as a form of party politics that one side says aha look at this your candidates have been saying this clearly you're a bunch of idiots and then the other side says well you've got this candidate here i think if uh, if we were to launch a bornbrook party tomorrow we'd have a, a very good percentage of uh, fools involved as well because that's just a natural result of, mm. of being a, an organization which involves uh, people. Many people are idiots. Um, some of them happen to be in political parties. You might even have a greater proportion of that uh, than in the general population. Um, that's yeah. about all I think. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm I'm used to some in, in this topic, but I yeah, I, was, I, I kind of can't really think of anything else to say. Apart from anti-Semitism is bad. <laughs> Thank you very much, <laughs> Luke. Any more from you on this? Well, it, it, it's do you disagree with me on that, or do you agree? Do you do you think this is just a a natural extension of uh, popular movements, or is this a more common occurrence in Labour than than might usually be expected? I think it's just a common occurrence in Peterborough because <laughs> that just seems to dominate the headlines regarding anti anti semitism allegations. It's, right, it's also it's also it quickly became a front in a in the sort of the power struggle between uh, Starmer and the still Corbynite dominated NEC, um, where it's it's obvious that Starmer um, Starmer first wants to look good. Yeah, so yeah, there can be a bit of political witch hunting in, which the Conservatives yeah. will of course bounce. Well, on look, Starmer he wants to get the Corbynites out of the out of the front, you know, line of the party. Um, and yeah, he and this is kind of you know, it's it's fallen on his lap that presumably Corbynite um, councillors in, in Peterborough have you know predictably said some really stupid things online. Yeah. There's a thing which or well, similar thing which happened with Rebecca Long Bailey, you know, right? Cor- one of Corbyn's. Well, not not second in command, but close to him. She was um, suspended for, I think, liking an anti-Semitic tweet or liking an article. Hmm. Well, it 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 falls into the same category of of you know um, any accusation of xenophobia, where the it's it's been levied so often that I I I kind of just I have to see the the original source of it to really make up my own mind because you know it it scandal is so effective in politics these days that very often it is it is weaponized so i i i should have prepared more i i should have you know yeah. got gotten the supposed um transgressions in front of me but i i i didn't so um and as i said one, one of the key things of this story is that an investigation is still ongoing it's still a developing story literally like every story is nowadays so it's not not, not nothing has fully come to light but i thought it'd be good to um investigate how uh, the internal party politics is working with Labour and now the Conservatives. I think at this point Starmer is is trying to, um, you, you talked about Starmer sort of trying to deal with this very quickly. He probably wants to do anything to try and win back some support. Mm-hmm. Uh, he tried a, a gaffe, didn't he, following on from the, the story we talked about earlier with the redecoration, where he visited John Lewis, which apparently Boris and Carrie have turned their noses up um, and it just fell flat. No one <laughs> no one seems interested in what he has to offer or the Labour Party has to offer. And I think a large part of that is because over the past year, um, the government has been driving everything. It's had the press conferences. It's um, very much led the way in terms of the COVID response, not, not in a favourable way, I don't think, but it's still been at the forefront of the response. Uh, and the Labour Party has only agreed or done that thing of saying well it should have been done earlier which um is fairly boring um and i think because of that labor is just falling very far behind i mean polling even after all these scandals with the prime minister is still very strongly in favor of the conservative party and i think if there are an election tomorrow the conservative party would win Uh, not with my vote i must add um but but i think that's that partly explains why this is being dealt with so quickly um either to show that the party does deal with the matter or or 
rather to try and keep the story out of the press altogether, uh, which obviously hasn't succeeded. Um, but yeah, that's that's my take. Hmm. And I think on that we'll we'll go on to miscellaneous then, shall we? So the um, you wanted mm. to talk about the Oscars. I did, yeah. <laughs> I leave well, that to you. I didn't watch it. It's well, um, and, and apparently many other people didn't as well. Which well, I, yeah. I that's the thing is that it was it was a night in which all the problems with Hollywood were laid bare, which um are one rampant sanctimony among um people who compared to prior generations of actors and filmmakers are very mediocre um the, it was the typical elitist hypocrisy of you know people wearing you know, hundred thousand dollar dresses and tuxedos getting up to, to you know, hector us about you know uh, their contrived moral righteousness the um the ceremony seemed to make quite a point of venerating the black Panthers at one point uh but the most important issue is and it's one that's um, probably the biggest issue with Hollywood at the moment, which is that no one is watching. It was the, it was down fifty eight percent from last year's viewership figures, which which themselves were an all time low at the time. Um, and it's, I, I want to say get work go broke, but this but these people are just are too far gone to even listen to that anymore. You know, this should be a massive wake up call to these people but they're not going to they're, they're still you know they're still high off their own fumes um and it, it it wasn't what the oscars should be which is a celebration of film but it was you know a competition hmm. yeah, i remember i, I watched the year, uh, holly woke didn't you has it changed yeah I, I, yes well i i haven't watched any of this year's i i didn't realize it actually happened but um yeah, I, I watched last year's and it was probably equally as, ba as bad as this time. Every actor used their platform, uh, cuddling their golden statue in their million dollar tuxedo or dresses to say, oh, um, American people bad. Mm. And it's, I, I was so angry. I wrote a Warnbrook article about it. I mean, how how is that going to resonate with someone in the Rust Belt, you know? Um, that you know these people who you know have probably lost their jobs during the pandemic or even before due to you know automation and outsourcing uh listening to someone who's wearing you know clothing that costs more than their home lecturing them on on their privilege and 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 the evil of their home it's it's it, yeah. it's so well, disconnected or, or the evil of the president they voted for it's <laughs> so yeah. it's so yeah. odd yeah that an in, that an industry so dedicated towards money is willing to annoy the entire consumer base. Hmm. There was um, there was that thing in the in the U.S. version of the Specky called uh, Wokey Leaks, where it was um someone who's reportedly um in sort of Hollywood circles is blowing the lid on the the fraudulent wokeness of of them, um and it it is the way it's described is basically being you know performative egalitarianism, but under the services like a ruthless and superficial hierarchy essentially yeah. so we see the same in politics don't we really mm, yeah, yeah yeah and 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 you know everything has come political that's um i think i think me me and you luke have talked about that before where in um in in you know in the cultural revolution everything is political the personal is political so the oscar you know the oscars was, was never going to be safe from that but um 
I just hope they they learn from this, but they probably won't. Need another Ricky Gervais on stage. <laughs> Book him in next year. Well, I mean, there'll probably be about six people in the room, but hey ho, it's a start. Yeah. <laughs> all messed up. Hey, there we go. All in hazmat suits, glass <laughs> chambers. Yeah. Well, there you are. I think on that bombshell, then. Uh, looking forward to the next the next award ceremony. I think Gervais used to do the Golden Globes, didn't he? But I don't even think he's invited to do that anymore. Well, the uh, Oscars don't even have a host anymore. All right. Oh, well. Kev, Kevin Hart had some 10 year old tweets which were not yeah. up to the current cultural revolutionary standards. So there's, there's now no host. Yeah. They, they basically um, fired a black man and called everyone else racist. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's uh, an even better bombshell to end on. Um, <laughs> We thank you all for listening this week and uh, hope that you might join us again next time. Thanks very much.